Almighty pod me home. Religion, science, myths, and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us and how do they know? We are investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimensional with Robert Wallace and Adam Jeffrey to Undiscovered my Spiritual own, Realities. My own brother, sister. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God? No, I do not. Stay tuned to find out why you shouldn't be taking oaths, even in court. Then, I've never seen a righteous man or a son begging for bread. We're talking generational cursings and blessings. Also, are you forgiving others the way you have been forgiven? No? All right then, pack your bags, you're going to jail. Then, you are gods. Uh-oh, you didn't know? What? Okay, hang in there. And the pros and cons of the, the new, new age, age movement. movement. New age. Welcome to Spiritual Realities. I'm Robert Wallace. This is Adam Jeffrey. We're going to cut through the small talk because we got some delicious things to dish on. Today, we're going to have a little bit of a deja vu. If you remember back a few years, a few years, a few episodes ago, feels like years ago, <laughs> uh, we removed the hat from Adam, which is a little bit of <laughs> Bible riddles. Um, yes. The whole uh, praying without ceasing and then shaming the head while you're praying thing. Uh, mm. You can't have it both ways, folks. But this is sort of the same thing because we're talking about oaths. So you go into court. They say, sir, I need you to put your hand on the Bible, raise your other hand, and repeat after me. I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now, here's the problem with that. The Bible is very clear that not a single hair in our head is ours. We can't turn it gray. We can't make ourselves a cubit taller. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything mm. more is from the evil one. You're telling me when we go into court every time, they're making me conjure up the evil one? Wow. In order to, like, prove my innocence or something? Whatever the case may be? Hmm. Yeah, and it was Jesus that said that specifically in the Bible. Himself. Yeah. And yet, and the irony is, the courts are bringing in the Bible. Right. And making people swear in the very book that says, don't do it. So... I don't know, folks. If I was you, I'd be uh, taking some of these old-fashioned beliefs and bringing them back because there's a reason why they were said to begin with. And, you know, from a spiritual perspective, like, our word is our bond. Right. We bind ourselves by the promises and the oaths that we make. Yeah. They carry with us into the future. The Scientologists take it to another level. You know, they have those billion-year contracts. So they're like... For the next billion years, all your reincarnation cycles are owned by L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh. And uh, Eastern mysticism, you know, you'll have clairvoyance and people who can look at a person and see how they're like bound by spiritual binds from obligations, curses that have been put on them. Hmm. And they actually have to go through and break these binds that are keeping people sick and things like that. Wow. And placing... Putting yourself under oath, that's the same sort of scenario. Yeah. 
So how, how do you think that applies to oaths outside of the court? I think it's a good question. I think yeah. it goes for everything. Yeah. And if any of you are judges out there or members of the legal community, feel free to call in and give us your two cents. I think, you know, it's obvious what a person's trying to accomplish by making somebody swear an oath. They want them to, you know, say something out of truth from their deepest core. Now, if a person doesn't believe in God, for instance, in uh, Freemasonry, when, oath, you know, when somebody takes their oath to masonry hmm. they'll actually say you have to believe in a god because how can you swear an oath on a bible or whatever right that you don't believe in so if you're hindu they'll replace that bible with the bhagavad gita yeah which we'll talk about later because uh our friend adam here took the whole week and uh, read that book so we're gonna get some juice out of that yeah um or if you're islamic you'll put the Quran down or or whatever and and swear your blasphemy on that isn't it a blasphemy to do that which you're not supposed to do on the very thing that is the most sacred seems like it to me all right well i just want to cover that <laughs> yeah so again <laughs> let your yes be yes and your no be no so when they ask you say judge i'll tell you yes or i'll tell you no anything more is from the devil okay you know and it just seems practical too if you're a person of your word i mean if you mm. if if you're honest then all you should have to say is yes you shouldn't be having to prove anything to anyone absolutely and so you can see how that comes from the evil one because at that point it's like oh i have to promise you because you don't trust me yeah because i don't usually tell the truth <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you, you know people will say well honestly right or, to tell you the truth yeah or i swear you gotta believe me yeah those sorts of things usually come, you know, right before or right after somebody is told something not completely true. Correct. Because they need reinforcement because, you know, it's just not self-evidently true. Right. And or they're just not trustworthy in general. They're not trustworthy. You know, it's a known thing. Hey, that guy, he tells the truth maybe half the time. And yeah, they need so. to solicit a little bit of your graces to believe them through the right. smile. Right. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, another question on today's docket we need to discuss is... The Bible says I've never seen, and I believe this is uh, it's either Psalms or it's Proverbs, sorry. Uh, it says, I've never seen a righteous man or his son begging for bread on the side of the road. Uh, it made me wonder, you know, because I have to blow this out and say, are you telling me that righteous people don't become impoverished and aren't, you know, aren't begging for bread? Because a lot of mm. times we're taught, you know, the poor, you know, will inherit the kingdom of God. Right. You know, and so I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, there's got to be a lot of, you know, righteous, blessed people, you know, on the side of the street. And of course, you know, whether or not their karma has put them there, we all have a responsibility in a communal way to help lift each other out of the karma that we're suffering. Hmm. So maybe I'm homeless because I made bad choices. I was an alcoholic or I didn't, you know, do good, you know, with my family and responsibilities. That may all be, but that gives nobody uh, the right to tr turn their nose up at this person or to say they're getting what they deserve. Right. They right. are in our midst, and in that way, they become part of our karma to help them handle their karma. Absolutely. You know, they're suffering whether or not you hand them a little bit of something or not. Yeah. But the other thing is, um, as far as generational cursings and blessings, spare the rod, spoil the child. This is kind of on like the first level before we start working out to bigger generations. 
that the kid will thank you for disciplining them. If yeah. you spare the child the rod, they're going to grow up corrupt. If you, you know, I'm not saying that we need to beat our children, you know, but I'm saying we need discipline because you can make important corrective measures. You can change their trajectory while they're young by bringing them up on important issues so that they, you know, certain ideas don't even enter into their mind that they can get away in life operating in these ways. And once they start to normalize and everything, they'll be happy that, you know, they're not relying on these, you know, half-baked ideas that undisciplined parents, you know, might have let them get away with. Hmm. It's kind of long-winded, but you know what I'm saying. And yeah. then there's the blessings of your forefathers on us. You know, I was listening to uh, Joe Osteen the other day, and he was talking about how he was reaping the harvest of his dad and, and his forefathers' efforts in creating their church. Hmm. And, you know, they were making sacrifices that wouldn't, until later, be reaped by younger generations. I think especially in America, in this day and age, especially when, like, you know, I scarcely know who my great-grandmother is, unlike in other cultures and traditions where they can name their lineage going back to right. so-and-so, right. it gets harder and harder to try to incorporate what was happening 100 years ago to what's happening in my life now, or to think that there's any connection between me and my forefathers. That's kind of like a, kind of an old traditional thing. Though there is something I could say to that. Steiner talks about, talking about Rudolf Steiner here, uh, I, he talks about it used to be uh, thousands of years ago that a person would retain the memory of his forefathers. So that means you would remember your dad's life as though it were your own. Hmm. In the same way that we remember what happened to us a, a few years ago, you, you would actually share the memory from your forefathers. And, wow. And then, but something happens in that stream of consciousness that comes from the early forefathers, especially when our blood is mixed with other races. So I'm half Mexican. Hmm. So my Mexican side is pretty Mexican. My white side is pretty just Norwegian and, and Welsh and Scottish and European in nature. <laughs> and Steiner says that if we grow up, for instance, let's say you're Indian and you've only had Indian ancestors, you're going to have, whether you realize it or not, a lot of ancestral memory in you. But as soon as a child comes out born out of two different races, all of a sudden that ancestral memory goes away and the person then develops an intellectual mind. They start to think with their intellect in a way they couldn't before. Hmm. So uh, there's actually a development that happens in the mixing of races. And that ancestral lineages die and new intellectual capacities come out of, of these half-breed half people, if you want to call them. Interesting. Cher said half-breed. I can say half-breed. <laughs> Wait, I'm, who I'm said it? Cher. Cher. Oh, okay. That song. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know why she's allowed to make the rule, but it just came into my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, the, so there's that. So um, the blessings and the cursings of uh, people who are suffering on the side of the road, does that mean that? What does that mean to you? Because it does say yeah. that I've never seen a righteous man or a son begging. Right. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to like look at everybody on the side of the road and say, you know, they have it coming. I mean... Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Right. I think one of the things that comes to mind, too, before I let you contribute something of value here, sure, yeah. is that, uh, and I don't remember where I heard this, but it was talking about, you know, when we have 
money, then our reliance and our faith are on the things of money and what we have. Right. That we don't need to, you know, look to God for our sustenance because we got money. We can take care of it ourselves. Hmm. But when you're poor, you truly know what it is to trust in God to provide every meal, every little thing that you need to get your car up the hill, you know, these sorts sorts of struggles. So these people are really in touch, you yeah. know, with the spirit of God because, you know, the love of money comes between God and, and most people. Right. So there is an advantage there. Absolutely. There's a lot going on here. You know, first of all, I think anything that you find in the Bible or anywhere that you could claim is true also needs to be balanced with do not judge. You know, so it's like, okay, so you find this thing and you say, well, in any case, it's not my place to judge. Mm -hmm. Either way, righteous or not righteous, poor or rich, it's not, you know, it's not my, uh, this is my brother or sister. And so you get back to unity consciousness also, you know, it's like we, we are the body of Christ, we are one. So you get back into this unity idea. But also I find it interesting that Jesus seems to flip this whole idea consistently. You know, not only blessed are the poor, um, but over and over again, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So when we encounter somebody who's begging or somebody who is poor, they, they, these encounters are with Christ. That's the way we should see it. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't see it. Again, not only should we not judge, that's, that's basic. But in addition, a more advanced outlook is I'm actually having an encounter with the living Christ right now. That's right. That's, yes. that's how sacred this moment is. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is so important that you said that because we look at people and we literally take them at face value. We judge the books by the covers. Yeah. And in reality, the true person isn't visible. The true person is invisible. The soul itself is a, a rarefied, you know, misty, gaseous sort of form. This is a crystallized body and we've taken possession of it. Aspects of our personality come out in our features and in our, in our health and things like that. But we are not these bodies. We're actually all vessels or temples of God. Right. And so the Christ, which whether or not it has woken up and risen out of the soul of the person or not, it's still inside still of there. the person. Absolutely. And so when Judgment Day comes about and we see things for how it is, and we realize that these people that we were scolding or that we were berating or judging, that they were all the same, just as much Jesus and, and our Lord and our, and as those uh, who found it in their higher selves, who've been able to strip away the personality and all these things that make that hard to see. Mm-hmm. So even if somebody's going around with the scowl and, and they themselves are judgmental and bitter and all that, we can't forget that all that is covering up a pure spark of God. Absolutely. <laughs> and the more they clean house, the more that's going to shine through. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could have a, a dirty clam or oyster, and you could throw it away because it doesn't look good on the surface. There can't be anything good in there. Right. But there's a pearl in there. Hmm. All right. So be nice to each other. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Every day. Yeah. The next thing... Uh, and this, has, this goes back to the parable uh, I think Jesus told. He was talking about, you got something to do? Yes, I have a question. Yes. I started asking earlier, but I was like, no, well, I'm going to ask you now. When you said that when two people of different races have a child and they have the intellectual mindset, why is that? Is it because they come from different cultures and they have a different outlook on what they're 
reality is? So, so my understanding from Steiner is this: since the pure races, if you've been all Indian or all, you know, you know, African American or all white, you're actually carrying with you ancestral and, and race memory, history, knowledge. That's an intuitive. But when the two races mix, those lines of of knowledge and intuition, they're severed. And intellect is born out of this person. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of just knowing things or operating more or less mechanically or operating from some unknown knowledge that they've inherited, now all of a sudden they think deeper on things. Now we, and we do, we have a generation of people of mixed races. And what we find is that these people are thinking differently. They're bringing up new ways of doing things. They're trying to break the mold. They're seeing in this new sort of, you know, broader perspective. It's more holistic. It's more unifying, mm. you know? And, uh, and so anyway, that's, that's basically what it is. We just like expand and we become more independent in our thought life oh, okay. as a result of, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I feel, I feel that way. I mean, myself, you know, like I said, I'm half Mexican, you know? And so, uh, you know, I feel like aside of being a little bit, different you know i i look completely caucasian so it's not like i suffered you know persecution or anything like that um you know my dad's side just speaks spanish and stuff like that you know yeah uh but so there was a there's two different kinds of heritages and i feel like i felt it felt somewhere in between i feel like a citizen of the world absolutely and i feel like yeah. that's kind of what this leads to is being more of a universal kind of citizen. yeah i think that's kind of cool because you can see just from what you just said that it can be liberating honestly because it liberates people from the idea that they have to be stuck in a particular category yeah no matter what that category is and it's not it's not that that category is necessarily a bad thing but you also have the freedom to be a citizen of the world like you just said you know it's like i i see myself as that and this, it's also kind. Of, it's essentially to me, it seems a little bit like um, ego death and self-realization. Mm. The idea that I am still this guy that you see, Adam Jeffrey, but I'm also becoming unified with the truer self. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like that's that's a liberating thing, also. Yeah, yeah. you know that just re- reminded me of of the earthly qualities that make up man and the heavenly qualities that make up man. We're built up out of the mineral. We're built up then out of the plants, which plants get their sustenance out of the minerals. Then uh, above that is animals. And when and then from there, the mantle of God, the spirit of God came down and created a human being. So the lower part of our nature that comes out of the earth as the minerals, plants, and animals gives us this form that we enjoy. And it's the divine part that brings higher thinking yeah. morality that brings intelligence consciousness and the ability the possibility of transcending into other dimensions hmm. so i i forget why i said that but uh it's all connected okay. it is it is it's good it's I good had a reason i'm gonna listen back and figure it out <laughs> so uh to back to what i was talking about jesus said he was telling this parable about this guy who owed this other guy a bunch of money and the, and the guy who owed the money went to the other guy begging for mercy. Don't throw me in jail. Don't ruin my life. And this guy to whom the money was owed had great compassion, and empathy, and, and mercy. And he said, you know what? I'm going to forgive your debt. I'm not going to send you to jail. I'm going to forgive the money that you owe and, and, and set you free. 
And so this is like, oh, great. It's a beautiful lesson of compassion and action. Okay, great. Well, what did this guy go and do, though? He had money owed to him. Right. And instead of spreading that mercy, as he was just shown, he went to collect that money and very violently. Yeah. And was grabbing him by, you know, the collar. He was threatening him to throw him in jail. You know, he was hurling insults and very dirty with him. And the original guy who was owed the money, who had forgiven this man his debt, found out about it. And he said, bring that guy to me. And he, he was brought before him and he said, I forgave you your debt. And as soon as I let you go, you went and collected very violently. You went and collected from all these other people ruthlessly. Yeah. In the Bible, right? That was yeah. I do remember that story. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you should have shown the same compassion I showed you. Exactly. And then he said, now I'm going to put you in jail until you pay every last cent that you owe. And obviously this is telling us Jesus, God, forgave us of our sins. He forgave mm-hmm. us of our shortcomings. Mm-hmm. He forgave us of the awkwardness the other day. He forgave us of the debt we owed the guy and then everything, you know, fell away. And then, and you know what? There's going to be people who are going to do awkward things in front of us. They're going to owe us something. There's, they're going to have their shortcomings. And if you can't just operate on the basis of love and mercy, the way that God has showed it to you, what's going to happen? Judgment day is going to roll around and you're going to pay everything that you did or you didn't do. He's going to say, I forgave you of your sins. And what did you do? You went and you ruthlessly collected from other people. You didn't show compassion. So instead of entering into the joy of your father, you're going to reap the fruits of your non-forgiveness. You're going to pay the debt. Yeah. You know, I feel like we see that theme overall in the New Testament over and over again. Jesus teaches it over and over again alone, but you see it throughout. You know, we love because we were first loved. Mm. You know, judge not lest you be judged. Forgive as you have been forgiven. It's it's taught in this parable and in other parables. It's said very directly over and over again. And again, we're looking at something like karma, if not actually karma itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what, what you do to others will be done to you. Mm-hmm. So judge not unless you'll be judged in the same way. Yeah. Forgive others. I mean, even even what we call the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. It, again, over and over, you can just see the same cycle mm-hmm. being taught and being lived. So I, I think that it's super important that we realize that what we do to others is what will be done to us. Yeah. 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 And it won't be comfortable. It won't be a happy thing. I think uh, in the past, I'm going to segue a little bit, because in the past we've talked about hell a little bit. Hmm. And the more you think about it and the more information I collect on it, there's a, whole, there's a lot of different angles to it. And I think the first thing to remember is because, you know, we've talked about, you know, the nature of a forgiving God to handle the, the sinners in a way that excludes, you know, an everlasting torment and the typical way, but I think we forget some of the things that precede these sorts of things. For instance, when you die, you have, you see your whole life flash before you. You see this uh, tableau, or you see this big old stretch of everything you've ever done in one foul swoop. Then there's a, a segment, according to Steiner, called Kamaloka. Okay, uh, this is a stage where we go through our entire life backward at a much faster s- pace, and we experience our life as we uh, uh, cause others to experience us. Mm. 
So if we uh, slapping people around at some point, as we go back through our timeline, we'll experience those slaps and pains and we'll decide whether we need to come back and make it right. Or if we've been loving and kind to people, we're going to experience all the joy and love that we gave to other people. Mm. And that's really great. Then there's something called the fire of purification, which is also known as purgatory. And in this stage uh, of dropping the body and going back into the spirit world, we're trying to disconnect from the physical. We're trying to disconnect from the ethereal body. We're trying to disconnect from the astral body or the soul. And then, so we're left with that one spark of light, the spirit, which we can then enter into and through into the kingdom of heaven, into the spiritual plane. So what the fire of purification is, is throughout life, you've found your favorite foods. For me, that's pasta, okay? The food that oh, you salivate when you think about. You got your favorite uh, activities, you know, you get an adrenaline rush when you go mountain climbing or the favorite things that you like to do. Well, now when you're between lives, you don't have a body with the mm. five senses. You can't look upon those things you desire to look upon. You can't taste those things and consume them that you desire to consume because you don't have the faculties of digestion. Okay. Yeah. You can't handle these things. So what a person is left with is, according to Steiner, a sense of being thirsty in the desert. You're craving something. The desire, though, it, it gets so, so fiery. It burns the person up. They feel like they're being burnt wow. in a fire of desire. And that fire of purification is burning away as we accept that those things are gone, that we have to let them be. They're transient. They're not what we're about. And those were unhealthy uh, 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 loves, that fire purges and burns away all of this earth stuff so that we can be just spirit and we can carry on into the spirit world. And then we still have a judgment. Like, how can you go to heaven or hell unless you've been judged for heaven and hell? Mm. So what about this judgment? Swedenborg talks about how we're moved into the communities of heaven and hell after judgment. So we moved into the communities of people in heaven who like to stitch, you know, their seven mesh plastic canvas make coasters or whatever their love is. <laughs> and I say it that way because Swedenborg talks about how there's just thousands, millions of communities yeah. of people with very unique, diverse interests and loves. And you're going to be put into that unique category where you find your kinship with people that, you know, maybe you've never seen. Yes, I have a childhood story. My dad, he used to tell me, you have to do good in school and do your homework and pray to God so you can go to heaven and eat popcorn because I love popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, there's going to be popcorn in heaven. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's something Swedenborg and Steiner talk about is there is consuming in heaven. There is a, a feast, you yeah, know? Yeah. So, you know, there's a... You see that in the Bible, too. A lot of the different parables talk about a feast, you know? Yeah. I mean, a wedding feast, you see analogies of, like, it being like a wedding, a party, you know? So I, I, I definitely think, yeah. Special order for DeLois, we have some popcorn here. We're going to have to have popcorn and pasta. Popcorn, popcorn with butter, pasta. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cho so, chocolate, chocolate for you. Any kind of chocolate, chocolate or just chocolate. <laughs> I've been I've been dipping all kinds of fruit and chocolate lately. Maybe oh, have you? Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, for me, it's vegan chocolate. She asked if there was any particular kind of chocolate. Oh, for me, it's vegan chocolate, which is really good, by the way. Which is that really sounds good. good. It's, it's, I haven't even have it, had it before. Oh, it's so good. You sell that at your restaurant? Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. We we have cakes and all kinds of things. That sounds so good. I Pretty have awesome. to come one day. I really do. You really do. <laughs> so. 
Great. Well, um, basically, that's uh, that's what it comes down to: treating others, uh, forgiving them of their karma, forgiving them as we have been forgiven. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty good. The next thing that we have to talk about um, is there's a lot of retreats happening. There's a lot of different kinds of meditation. People are doing crazy stuff. You know, people are out there, uh, and, I, and I say crazy in a good way because I'm part of these people. <laughs> Everything I'm about to tell you I think is right. a good idea, right. by the way. Um, so one of the things that are happening are these silent retreats. Silent yeah. retreats. Somebody who go out with a group of people yeah. into a house for a solid week, and nobody says a word. That seems like it could be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, I could use a silent hour in my life. We'll see how I do. Um, that's where a lot of meditation, you know, if you want to stop the thinking, you know, stop the talking and then go from there. But um, usually we're talking a lot because we're thinking too much. And the mm. other thing that's happening is people are doing these dark retreats where they sit in the dark mm-hmm. for like a week or so. And what that's supposed to do is, uh, or it does for some, is it causes them to see into the astral light. They start to develop clairvoyance because this light, which exists in the eyeball of every person, which the light of the life of the soul is in the eye. Yeah. Okay. And if thine eye be single, it'll light up the whole world. Uh, And so there is actually, if you close your eyes, except for you driving right now, unless you're a stoplight, and you (laughs) close your eyes, kind of close them, and then you touch with your fingertips the outer periphery, the left and right outer sides of the left and right eyeball, and you just kind of tap, you're going to notice some kind of luminous uh, activity, and this bioluminescence is the substance of astrolite. And in fact, if, if you become uh, acquainted with this light and you begin to uh, meditate and put your attention on that very specific spectrum of light coming from the eyeballs, you'll see that it veils and shrouds living beings living in astral light. Hmm. And that it isn't some just uh, random uh, side phenomena occurring, a biological quirk or something in the body, right? But it's actually uh, one of the uh, faculties of sight. Future faculties of sight is not vestigial. It's actually it's latent, waiting to be discovered. Hmm. You know, and future generations will learn about these things in us that they used to know that we've forgotten in our materialism. But um, is this related to um, what's known as the third eye? You know, absolutely, the, the yeah. third eye chakra. That's, this yeah. is third eye activity. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah. You know? Probably should have said that. No, just, just two yeah. eyes coming together to be one. To be the one, yeah. And just, you know, focusing. Again, if you do like a meditation where you close your eyes and you, you touch the outer and you, and, you, and you see these lights coming in and you, and you can really focus on letting it light up your whole interior world, you will start to see geometric patterns. Mm. You'll start to see divine imagery. It doesn't come out of a hallucination. It doesn't come out of brain cells being pressed too closely together. <laughs> You'll start to see a reality that lives within that spectrum of light, which uh, is right under all of our noses. Hmm. It just requires a little bit of investigation and practice. I've got another question about these uh, these dark retreats. Have you heard about the ones that people do? I can't remember exactly what they're calling it, but um, they're floating in the dark. I was just going to say that. I've okay. done that before. You've done that. Okay, uh-huh. cool. Yeah. And I, I should have known that you have. <laughs> So you're, we're talking about you flow in the dark. 
Yes. So this is called a sensory deprivation tank. That's it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're floating in, uh, it's, it's basically like a pod, like this, you know, this tank thing that's covered and makes it dark. It's filled with water with a ton of salt in it. Very salty. Oh, So it's okay. like at the Dead Sea, if you've ever gone to the Dead Sea and yes. floated in the Dead Sea, you know, you're super buoyant because of the salt density. Well, that's what happens in these deprivation, sensory deprivation tanks. So that way you're floating in this warm water, which is body temperature, and you hear really no sounds except for the occasional slushing around of water, which kind of echoes around in there. And the idea is, and this happens to... Uh, many different kinds of people they have they go into spiritual vision so in the process they shut down their brain they're silent still enough where the spirit can move through them and they become so relaxed they have spiritual visions hmm. is the salt more of a cleansing or is that just to help you float you know, I'm not sure if it's an Epsom. It's there for flotation purposes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Because I know salt can cleanse. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that there's cleansing properties either, but okay, I'm not an expert in this matter. <laughs> where, where did you have this experience? Because I know that like down here in the South, that's not... Uh... I did this in uh, <laughs> Dallas probably four years ago uh, at a place called Aqua. Okay. And so there was like two of these float tank places. Yeah. And I haven't done it since, but you know, the idea is people will get memberships and uh you know, they'll they'll come and do it routinely and and I never did it routinely. I uh I can't even remember if I did it more than once. I did it once or twice only. Um but the idea is you'll do it regularly like spa visits or you know. And I don't know, you know. I say go for it. Absolutely. Don't hurt nothing. Um and the other thing along these lines, you know, and then there's breatharian retreats, which, mm -hmm. you know, I did a online breatharian retreat where I did uh, a Kai and Camille's eight day process. They're breatharians. And so for eight days, now you can go on site with these people. And what a breatharian is, in case you don't know, these are people who don't eat or drink food or water. And they survive off pranic breathing. That's the, the pranic spiritual energy that's in the sunlight. And that is infused in all of your water and all your food, and you're wringing it out. It's like trying to get the essential oils out of something. You're eating this big old piece of pie for just a little bit of prana, mm. and you're surviving off this little bit of prana that you're wringing out of the foods. But if you do pranic breathing, you get really stockpiled on there. Yeah. And, and in the process of fasting, you actually lose your ability to experience hunger. <laughs> I mean, and, and they say vegans are intense. <laughs> 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 that's you know and here i am you know i'm kind of in an intermediary stage i'm getting ready to do the eight day process all over again and then when i come out of it i'm gonna be straight up this is my plan being straight up fruitarian overlapping breatharian wow so my adjustment i'm gonna go ahead and just skip the vegan i'm gonna skip the nutarian and i'm wow. just gonna go right to the fruits and I think it's actually, uh, that's not that, not that hard to imagine. If you've ever fasted, you know that even a, uh, scrawny old piece of rice begins to look like a turkey dinner because, <laughs> right. you know, if, you know, you're having these cravings for things, all of a sudden everything looks delicious. Mm -hmm. So we're going to make sure I put all the focus on fruits and I learned to love the fruits. There you go. I learned to love V8 juice. Cool. Through fasting back in the day, I can learn to love fruits. So, okay, so there we've hit the top 10 things, but let's get on to the accomplishment of the hour. Adam has read the Bhagavad Gita this week. Tell us about the sublime uh, poetry of Krishna. 
<laughs> well, I found it beautiful. I couldn't stop reading it, and I had a lot of time since I was, you know, um, had a back injury mm-hmm. this week, so I had some time, and I and I wanted to do it. And I just, I have read parts of the Bhagavad Gita before, but I've never read the entire story front to back. And I just couldn't stop. And I am so glad that I did. Um, it's it's really cool because um, what I wanted to get out of it and what I did was to see the parallels between the things that I am more familiar with, which is, you know, I, I have a degree in the Bible and in theology. And, I, and, and obviously the links are there. And, and in fact, I was reading it sometimes going this, you know, because I'm, I'm listening to Krishna. This is Krishna teaching Arjuna, and, and I'm listening to Krishna teaching all this wisdom, and I go, this is Jesus. I mean, they're saying exactly the same things, sometimes exactly, you know, I, except that, you know, we, we hear Jesus say, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Well, that's the Greek letters of the alphabet, so Krishna wasn't using Greek, so he would say, I am the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. And I go, he's saying exactly the same thing as Jesus, and a lot of times it was the same thing over and over. I'm also a big etymology guy. I, I love words and finding out where the words came from, and what they meant before we made them mean what they mean now and that kind of thing. And so I, I did a little bit of research on on Krishna's title, Krishna's name. Um, and, and the Sanskrit is where his name comes from. And some say that um, you could change that into English more correctly by saying Krista. I was just going to say that. Krishna, yeah. Krista, Christ, Christ. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so Jesus's title, it's not his name, but his title, Christ, comes from the Greek word Christos. So you have Christa in Sanskrit, and you have Christos same, in same Greek. Deal. They're, they're, they're the same. You know, it's, it's, yeah. So what you see is what we call the Christ. Again, this universal consciousness, the universal Christ that transcends religion, speaking through what we've come to know as Krishna. Yeah. yeah. Taking, taking on bodily form as these avatars. Correct. Same spiritual being coming down to different generations and epochs. In, in teaching the message that they need to hear right then. Right, and he said that he would. Krishna said, I'll be back every, what, what was it, thou, every millennium, every thousand years, uh-huh, yeah. because the, the people in different generations in different places and different times need to hear this message again. Yes. That's so he, he said it. He said, I'll, I'll be back, and, and there he is again yep. and again. Yeah, <laughs> that is absolutely true. It's pretty mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm going to... Relate a story. Some of our uh, listeners may find unbelievable, but that's what the show's all about—the unbelievable. Hmm. So, uh, several years back, I uh, was sleeping, and then I went into a, a vision dream. And uh, in this dream, I was going to my friend's house, and I knocked on the door, and I went inside, and the whole thing took place. Have I told the story? No. Okay. And the whole thing took place in this guy's, like, you know receiving room like right at the door you know where it's called and uh foyer or whatever and so then as i'm coming in my friend says oh i invited bra over i don't know who he said <laughs> it was like charlie brown's teacher and i all i know is that in that vision in that place time i knew i felt like i knew the person and i did not want to be there for that and i said oh so you had to invite him over it's like okay well i'm gonna get going i'll come over when he's gone okay I don't know why I was thinking this. I don't even remember who I thought he was. I just was somebody that I didn't like. Okay. This is what's happening. And then all of a sudden, as I'm reaching for the handle to leave before he gets there, somebody knocks on the door. Hmm. It's him. Okay. So I open up the door and here's this guy. He's basically homeless looking. He's in not clean clothes. He looks, you know, 
you know, like, you know, he's been through the roughs. And so, you know, he comes in and I don't want to be rude. So, you know, I'm going to say goodbye. Like, ah, I was just leaving anyway, real quick. And uh, he begins to talk to me and he starts talking and talking and talking. And before I know it, he says, well, I guess uh, that's enough. I better get out of here. I don't want to overstay my welcome. Now, what he had been talking about was deep universal truths. He launched in the most sublime way into a conversation, speaking on the highest level, and I had just been listening to God. And so mm. I said to myself, I started to cry immediately as I snapped out of it. And I realized that he's saying that he's got to go because I just gone from not wanting to see this person to like, this person's God. And I said, mm. my God, like, like you're God. Like, and all of a sudden he just smiles and he turns around and then he turns back to me and he's Krishna. Wow. Completely robed in his, in his rich, elegant, his blue guy. Yeah. He's standing yeah. there and I'm just like, Whoa. <laughs> And so that night I became a hard and fast believer in Krishna. It was a firsthand experience and, um, and I learned a lot through it. And anytime I think about it uh, to any depth, I, I start to cry because it was a very um, meaningful experience. Mm. I can't remember hardly anything he said because the words, you know how the scriptures say God's ways are so high above ours. I mean, there were such high concepts and everything. I could barely contain them in my yeah. little material brain coming back. You know, sure. All I know is it was just so awesome, and I just remember listening and listening. Oh wow! So anyway, that's my Krishna story. That is so cool. Yeah, so beautiful. And that's why I, I believe in Krishna. But yeah. if you just you know study comparative religion, I know we're talking to people out here who are conservative uh, Christians. They grew up in a, a, a one-way sort of attitude about spirituality, about religion. Mm. They're thinking that if they pick up the wrong book, if they if they look on any religion outside of Christianity with any kind of favor, then they've turned their back on God or something like that. And at the same time, I don't think we're realizing that we're turning ourselves into uh, narrow-minded people. We think we're doing the right thing by turning away every other faith. That isn't the one we grew up with, but we fail to see that God is in all faiths. Right. He's been trying to talk to people in different ways. through their different leaderships. They're going through different circumstances. They need different rules to uh, apply to where they're at. And instead, we're using this as like a uh, mode of prejudice. We're saying, you are of a different religion, a different faith. Your God and my God are incompatible. And we don't see ourselves as universal beings sharing the universe together. There's one truth. Right. And again, all, all the books of the world, we could fill up the whole world with the books that, of what Jesus did, of what he said, and throughout time. You know, we don't know everything. And I think the more I study all the other religions, the more I find that uh, God is everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good. And I, I think that we have to keep that idea of being focused on truth where we find it, too. You know, it's like if we're searching for the truth, Jesus said the truth will set you free. Mm. So if we get this closed-minded idea that we have what the truth is figured out, that's that becomes actually sort of a prison. It's actually the opposite of being set free. But if we're open to the truth, 
I think that that's been the key for me because I remember being kind of locked in that cell and I didn't realize that I thought I knew the truth and that that truth was setting me free. I believed that at one period of my right. life. Yeah, and then what I kind of did was I opened up and said, wait a minute, what if there's more than this truth? What if there's more truth to know? And as I've opened myself to truth, then I've been more and more set free. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because what I thought that I knew about Jesus was actually imprisoning me. But what I've come to know about truth is the truth does set you free. And the more open we become to it, the more free and liberated we are. Yes. Yeah. And I think this is a good segue to our next and final subject. And that's the pros and cons of the New Age movement. Um, where are we getting soft? Where have we progressed? Hmm. I think my early in my church uh, journeys, you know, you know, if, however many letter word this is, it wasn't a good word. The new age is considered, <laughs> right. yeah, you're, you're, you're pagan, witchcraft, you know, doing this thing, that. And of course, you know, going to these conservative churches, I didn't know any better. I didn't know what new age was. I just saw psychics. And then I saw, you know, people doing, you know, weird things or seances. And they were always depicted in these lights, you know, the, uh, the occult or, or whatever. And it was always in this dark light that mm-hmm. these things are explained. And then, uh, and I was a Seventh-day Adventist at that time, so I grew up Catholic, and I was Baptist and Methodist, and I was going to Pentecostal churches, and then I went to a Seventh-day Adventist church, mm. and, you know, and I've been part of many other different kinds of religions, but at that time, a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, they're very, uh, very conservative. Yeah. And something like this, I had an old lady in my church, she told me, she's like, oh, you don't want to get into all that stuff with the secret, you're going to get into the occult, just like my grandson. Now, that was 15 years ago, and I said, Arlene, come on. Well, she was right. But what she and I (laughs) didn't know at the time is that this stuff that we were fearing I would get into is not only not bad, it's super holy, and not only is it not a distraction, it's the inevitable next steps of a truly heartfelt spiritual journey that you come into this information, that you explore what isn't common in the churches. Because what's common in the churches right now, you know, you see what it gets you. You know, people go to church and they come back unchanged. They hear the scriptures, but the application isn't made deep enough. You know, the study into these subjects, we don't want to get too deep. We're afraid of getting into uncharted territories, things that our preachers don't know about. Right. And, and being lost, you know, instead of picking ourselves up by our own bootstraps, taking accountability for our own thinking, learning is only we can, you know. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. Don't wait for the preacher's message to deliver you. Right. Go rogue and find out what they don't want you to know. You know? There you go. You know, I, I want to add to that with with care. I want to be careful as I say this because I have a tendency now, coming from where I came from and where I'm at now, um, one of the things that I have to work on um, is to not be judgmental towards the churches, towards fundamentalism. Um, towards where I, what I've come from. That's that's my biggest work probably right now on a personal level is to not become judgmental of where I've been. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I, I do observe that something's happening in our society. People are not only, there are people that are stuck in the churches and in this closed-minded way of thinking, but there are also people by the hundreds, maybe thousands across the country and the world that are leaving the churches they are leaving, they're running away screaming, and there's a reason for that. You know? and, and again, I'm, I'm saying this as an observation, not as a judgment. 
Um, and I think that it's because a lot of people know that there's more truth than what's being presented there. And they do feel stuck mm-hmm. and they do feel like there's more, and, you know, again, that the truth can set them free. Well, this doesn't feel like freedom. If Jesus says the truth can set me free, I believe Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what is this truth that can set me free? So I think it's why we're seeing a lot of, you know, people are talking about the church is dying, the church is dying. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's true on the universal level, the universal Christ, the body of Christ, you know, that transcends what we call the church, the buildings in these places. But I see it as true for the buildings in the places where people are feeling stuck. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Yeah, uh, I feel basically um, this, it, that society as a whole is moving more towards, in their liberal nature, they're a more inclusive right. perspective. Right. And I think Jesus was a more inclusive, broader thinker. Absolutely. I think the irony here is that we have secular society almost progressing further along in the spiritual path in some ways than the spiritualists or the religious uh, among us who have Christ's teachings on love one another as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, when we hear people in the churches uh, still going and, you know, coming down on, you know, certain uh, people of certain demographics, Mm -hmm. whether they're uh, gay or whether they have their, you know, immigrants of one kind you know it's funny we got republicans tend to be more conservative tend to be more christian yeah and then yet we still have issues of immigration and things like that where we're not we're thinking through economics and not through our spiritual mind man absolutely you want to vote your conscience you know thank you for saying that by the way yeah (laughs) well and so that's kind of the irony is that our ancient teachings are being like almost like because we're not developing and we're not expanding on the teachings of christ they're being outmoded by people who don't have time to wait for the old Christian churches to come up to times and learn how to you know, love and respect each person. Yeah. So that's what I think. And that's yeah. why they're leaving. And that's why people want truer expressions of spirituality. Yeah. That's why the New Age movement's growing. That's why people are going to different spiritual teachers, because they're giving a, a live uh, expression of what the Spirit is saying to the world. Yeah. And that's to love each other and to forgive one another and love yourself. And I mean, that really, it's like if kindness is the big thing that it really boils down to, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. When I'm studying these religions, I'm really studying with an eye towards the silver bullet. What's the one thing that they say to do? Yeah. Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Yeah. And the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this, that you love God and do unto others or love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Okay. That's something very simple. You don't have to be a theologian to know that. Yeah. You can be of any age to do that. Right. You don't even have to grow up around religion to know absolutely what hurts you and how what you're doing is hurting or helping other people. Exactly. And it's the summary of the whole thing. It's the summary like Jesus of the said, thing. it's the summary of everything. And then you hear the Dalai Lama say, my religion is kindness. There you go. Yep. You know, you and, so, and you're seeing it again. It's this this transcending truth that's coming out about all of the religions. You can you can paint it this or that and put it in this or that box, but they're all saying the same thing. Yeah. And maybe you've seen that meme, that graphic, that infographic that shows all the world's religions at one point or another in each of the books say something like, do unto others as you'd have them do unto right. you. Right. Everybody's saying that. So we all kind of know that in that way. And, um, so anyway, uh, yeah, we need to be understanding of each other, forgiving and 
you know, you can, you can get through life just knowing how to be kind to people. Absolutely. You know, you can have all these words, but if you don't have love, you're going to be as clanging brass. Yeah, absolutely. And there's Paul in the New Testament, you know, yeah. once again. <laughs> and then of the disciples that were very simple and unlearned, and Paul and whoever else he says unlearned, but they knew that they had been with Christ. I mean, the that characteristic is the kindness that exactly, he's shown. exactly. And our judgment is not going to be based on you know how much information did you acquire per se, though the Bible does say get knowledge and get understanding. Yeah, but it's going to be based on like how did you treat each other the least of these yep for the same judgment and measurement you use will be measured and judged against you so yeah um anyway that's what it boils down to so there's no excuses there's no uh legalistic church rule that justifies your prejudiced behavior against another person no matter how they got themselves into that position or how you feel about it or whatever so yeah love one another so anyway next week uh we're going to be talking a bit about uh the world's religious movements and how we can find Christ in all of them. And hmm. um, if you're serious about your spiritual journey, then um, you should be ready and willing to get into everything to find the answer. So uh, Spiritual Realities has a new site. You can go to spiritualrealities.net, spiritualrealities.net, yeah. plural realities. Uh, like, follow us on Facebook. That's Facebook uh, forward slash spiritual realities. Um, to have newprecept.com put your questions comments concerns if you have any show ideas or things you want to see uh discussed more fully let us know email me at robert at newprecept.com that's robert at n-e-w-p-r-e-c-e-p-t.com and follow us on spotify itunes and Facebook Live. You can see more of the work that I'm doing in the world at 3dayflight.com and my wife and I have a restaurant in Memphis called Imagine Vegan Cafe. ImagineVeganCafe.com See you next time. KWAM, your news and information station with CBS News updates every hour on the hour. KWAM Memphis.